welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services representative, bringing you this week's episode. This week, our podcast is action-packed with an update from Paul Souza, our Director of Environmental and Regulatory Affairs, a market report from our economist Tiffany Lamendola of Blimling, and a recording of our webinar held earlier this week with the David Binder Research Group recapping their public opinion survey of California dairy farms that was conducted earlier in 2021. Without further ado, we'll jump right into the episode, and thanks for joining us this week. With our state facing a record drought, California's dairy families are meeting the challenge of getting the most out of every drop of water. According to UC researchers, California's dairy families will use 25% less water this year than last year. Over the past two decades, 50% less. How'd we do it? Resilience, innovation, technology. In fact, when it comes to water conservation, California dairy families lead the world. We're using recycled water, ensuring sustainability. We're irrigating our farmland more efficiently, doing more with less. And nearly half of what we feed our animals comes from nutritious, natural crop byproducts, which require no additional water at all. Dairy Families and the California Cattle Council are doing our part. We'll continue to feed California sustainably and using our water efficiently. Hi folks, hope you had a great week. Well, we saw a little um, divergence from recent trend uh, when we look at the class three and the class four markets. Uh, Components in the class three space actually declined for the week. So we lost a penny and a half on blocks to 173 and a half. And we also lost um, on barrels down a penny to $1.3925. Likewise, whey was down for the week, down a penny and a half to 48 and a half cents. However, moving over to the class four space, we saw some nice gains. We uh, picked up nine cents on butter up to 179.75. That was on a lot of lots trading for the week, 28 lots traded hands. And um, particularly over in the non-fat space, we saw uh, prices gain four and three quarters of a cent up to $1.34 on 16 lots trading hands. We um, saw the spot block price decline on a little bit more adequate supplies and the lethargic buy side interest in Chicago. Um, Barrels also ticked down on additional supply making its way to the markets. Sounds like spot milk in the upper Midwest is still trading above last year's price points, um, but cheesemakers still appear to be getting all the milk they need. We also got a recent cheese production report um, for July. Output was up 3.5% year over year. And that uh, month to month um, gained 27.4 million pounds. That compares to an average 11.7 million pound increase between June and July over the past five years. We also got new trade data. Cheese exports were really uh, quite stellar once again. We shipped out 81 million pounds, up 10% month over month, and up 27% over prior year levels. Uh, Moving over to uh, butter, seemed like prices continued to increase, helped a little bit by tighter cream supplies and slimmer stockpiles out in the countryside. For the month of July, butter production was down slightly 0.8% year over year, and also month to month down 5.4% from June, 
And that was a larger shortfall than the average monthly decrease that we see between those two months. On non-fat dry milk, we ticked upward. It seemed as though um, heat kind of limited milk production across the country and drier activity was down as a result. We're also seeing more fluid bottling pick up as schools are back in session and that's been pulling some excess milk away from the dryers. For the month of um, July, non-fat and S&P production eased some, down 8.4% uh, from the month prior. Manufacturing stocks um, still up though, 2.7% year over year. We had another great export month for powders, um, though they were down slightly from the previous month. Um, it still totaled 161 million pounds. Um, that is down a little bit from last year as well, down 3%, but still pretty solid, solid showing. We did see a little bit of declines in the grains. Uh, nearby corn futures fell to lowest level since late January, uh, while nearby soybean contract dropped to prices last seen late December. Grain markets plunged on the heels of Hurricane Ida, causing concerns around the flow of grain exports um, out of the U.S., as well as weakened rain that brought some relief to key growing areas. Hope you have a wonderful and safe holiday weekend. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. We would like to welcome back to the show, Paul Souza, Western United Dairies, Director of Environmental Affairs. Thanks for joining us today, Paul. Sure, glad to be here. Today you, we had you on, um, we talked a little bit about it ahead of time for a very specific update. It's kind of something different. This is, this is a state water board review of a certain region's dairy permit, and that has a farther reaching implication. So there's kind of some different things to get into on this topic, but kind of maybe we could jump back in with some background on exactly what's happening. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'll provide a little bit of history uh, because this thing has sat dormant for about eight years, and I, people may have forgotten about it. I mean, this has been in the news, uh, but since something, when something sits on the shelf for eight years, you kind of forget about it. So um, there's a process for when a regional water board adopts a permit and somebody is not happy with it to petition that permit up to the state water board. The state water board can then act on it. Um, if that entity is not happy, then they can take that to court, but they have to go to the state water board first. So when the uh, Dairy General Order was adopted in the Central Valley in 2007, it was immediately petitioned by a, a group of environmental groups. Um, and they went up through that process. They petitioned it to the state board. The state board reviewed it. Uh, the state board denied their petition, I believe. Uh, and then they took it to court, if I'm not mistaken. And then the court remanded that something had to be fixed about it. Um, either that or it was fixed at the state water board level. It's been a while. And Changes were made to the permit and a revised dairy general order was adopted in 2013 based on that previous petition. Um, there were some changes to it, mainly legal issues. Um, the challenges were legal and so uh, didn't really change what dairy producers had to do on the farm. It changed you know, some of the legal uh, background and strengths of the permit to comply with that 2007. Okay. And then, so you know, we, the water board readopts the permit in 2013 and it was immediately petitioned again by environmental groups 
Um, you know, looking that, you know, it, it didn't go far enough uh, and it wasn't protective of water quality and the state didn't meet um, legal regulatory requirements. So, um, you know, we're picking up from there. This is the petition that was filed in 2013 after the revised general order was adopted and it has sat on the state water board's desk uh, up until now. And now they're telling us that they are going to uh, pick it up and uh, review it. Okay. And there's implications for that beyond the Central Valley, Paul, as we mentioned. Correct. So um, we don't really know what's going to happen. This process can go a, a bunch of different ways. Uh, the way the, the thing that has happened before that, um, you know, we're kind of thinking this is going to follow is that in the Central Valley, the um, irrigated lands coalitions were also petitioned and specifically the East San Joaquin coalition. Mm -hmm. They adopted uh, irrigated lands permits, a variety of them throughout the Central Valley for different regions. Uh, this, the East San Joaquin um, permit was petitioned, uh, went up to state board. State board um, made some change, said this is what we want to see in an order for an right. irrigated lands uh, thing. And that applied to all of them in the Central Valley, but I know also on the Central Coast, and that's the thing that maybe um, you're kind of getting at, you know, that yes. um, this is going to apply to potentially more than just the Central Valley, whatever the state water board does. And so that's the only thing we've got to go off of. I mean, there's a number of ways, you know, the state board could just rewrite the permit themselves. Uh, but based on what they did with the East San Joaquin petition, they just um, make some suggested changes or some guidelines and they send it back to the regional board and say, hey, this is what a dairy permit should look like. You need to change the permit to incorporate these things. But then anytime another region was going to adopt a dairy permit, they would also need to look at that and follow uh, those precedents. Yeah, and we're, we're kind of hoping those are basic guidelines, Paul. Um, we don't get too far in the weeds into certain areas, mainly because, you know, my regions have a very different style of dairy than a lot of folks in the Central Valley do. And getting too specific is kind of applying one region's business style to you know places where it may not be applicable i guess yeah um that's definitely a concern because i agree with you melissa uh central valley dairies are going to drive this um yeah. and central valley dairy styles and facilities are going to be what the state water board is looking at when they make these changes and you know they could very well put something in hey you need to do this that wouldn't work well on a north coast dairy um but there's not a lot of input as to what the state board is doing. They uh, do their job, um, you know, pretty much behind closed doors. We're aware that they're working on it, but it is not a public process. Um, the thought is that they're going to come out with a an order that sets precedent, and they're going to say, "Here it is." Um, there are, you know, a small group of folks in the dairy industry working on it, uh, but it is it's not a public process. It's generally not open that um, anybody can provide input, which is very different than what we're used to. Of course, Paul, we usually are extremely engaged on these processes. And I don't know, maybe down the road opens the door for us to say, hey, this wasn't an open door process. Let's go back and, and negotiate. I don't know if that's the case or not. The state board is kind of a different animal than our regional boards, which we pride ourselves on having good partnerships with. So I guess we'll see what happens, but it, it's a little less comforting than when we're working with regional boards that have specific regional interests in mind. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, this is 
you know, kind of being done in a vacuum behind closed doors and we're not really sure what it's going to look like. Um, so there's a lot of things we don't know, as I kind of mentioned. I mean, uh, we just know they're working on it. There's a variety of ways that they can come out with it. We're looking at the East San Joaquin petition and thinking, you know, it's going to look something like that, but we're kind of guessing. Um, but some things that we do know, though, um, changes to the dairy order are coming. Uh, dairy producers should be aware of that. We also don't know when. Um, you know, <laughs> this could be, you know, months. Uh, the state board could uh, release this presidential order to the water board, to the regional board, or it could be years. I, you know, have no idea at the speed they work. I don't know how much work they've already done. Are they just, you know, starting to take it up or have they already done a lot of work and they're about to release it? Um, we really don't know. It could be somewhere between two months and three years um, that this comes out. But producers should be, you know, aware that something is happening and there will definitely be changes to the dairy order um, as a result of this. Some of those examples, uh, the regional water board has been telling us they've been wanting to put the requirement for flow meters for uh, measuring applications of lagoon water in the dairy general order for a long time. And they haven't been able to do that. They can't just open up the order and make a change. Uh, it's a whole process. Now that they're gonna be opening up that order to deal with the state water board um, petition, uh, th there's changes that they've been wanting to make for a long time and we know those. I know there's gonna be a requirement for dairies to install flow meters to measure all lagoon water applications. Uh, another big change that's happened is that the Central Valley Dairy Representative Monitoring Program or CVDRMP has come out with this um, summary representative monitoring report. Um, they monitored monitoring wells on dairies and, and did other studies uh, right. for a period of about six years. And they came out with this um, report as to um, you know, what things on dairies are protective of water quality, what things are not, and what needs to be changed. And okay. so that's also, that's gonna feed a lot into um, what changes happen to this next quarter. Interesting. So there's influence coming from sort of different areas and some good, some, I don't know if we would say bad, but maybe not as favorable as we would like, or it just means that there's going to be more investment on the dairy end of things in, in capital improvements on their properties, probably. Yeah. yeah. As far as the driver, so the petition uh, is filed by uh, groups of environmental uh, justice folks. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's not going to be good. Um, it, you know, think wish list of the regional board is going to be playing a factor in here. And then industry uh, input in the form of the Central Valley Dairy Representative Monitoring Program and their inputs. And um, what they found is that most impacts to nitrate from ground in groundwater are coming from the cropland, not lagoons. And so, you know, that's where they push um, you know, where improvements need to be made um, following nutrient management plans, application of manure, um, those types of things are, are the focus of that piece of it. But you're right. Yeah, it's coming from, you know, a bunch of different ways, um, sometimes contradictory uh, positions. And the regional board is the one that's going to have to sort all this out. Well, but they're going to be told by the state water board, you know, here's some things you got to do. And then they will add their own things and um, make some additional changes. So uh, that was the update, just basically letting members know, um, you know, nothing right away, but uh, you will be hearing more about this um, in the months and, and maybe years to come uh, as new requirements are put into place. And as Melissa said, um, you know, it, it will likely require investment on dairies at, you know, flow meters at the minimum 
um, you can expect that to be something that's um, going to be required in this next order. Absolutely. And Paul, just before we let you go, as mentioned, we aren't super engaged on the process with the water board, but we are engaged at the level with our members. So just kind of a little reminder to them that we are working on this as much as we possibly can be. If you have questions, please reach out to Paul. Um, he's the expert on all of this for what and you know statewide obviously very respected for his work in water quality on dairy so reach out to us we will give you whatever information we have answer questions as we can and when we get the final results of this review we will be on the ground working with dairies to make sure that they can comply with these regulations yeah and just to clarify that a little bit so the state water board process is not a public process right. and it's not open but then it will go to the regional board, uh, which is a open public process um, that we will be able to be fully engaged on. And I, I will be at that point. Um, uh, however, at that point, the regional water board is gonna have its hands somewhat tied because it will yeah. have mandates from the state water board of certain things that they've got to address in that order. Uh, but we're engaged in this, we're uh, you know, in conversations and, and trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, you know, if there's an opportunity for us to give our input, we will definitely be there. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks, Paul. Not the cheery chipper Mr. Sunshine update we were hoping for today, but good information for our members of something they should be listening for and looking for more information on in the coming months and probably years. Um, but thanks for joining us today and we'll have you back soon. Yep. Thank you for having me, Melissa. It's always great to be on. Appreciate it. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Well, thank you everyone for joining today. My name is Anya Radaba. I am the CEO of Western United Dairies. And we have a whole team of folks today um, that are going to help us present our findings. But uh, the industry has made some remarkable progress re regarding reducing manure methane during the last five years. Western United Dairies set out to find some direction on what the dairy industry's policy objectives for methane needed to look like now and in the future. So we wanted to try to use an informed set of public opinions for how we positioned our government affairs program and subsequent messaging. Working with our industry partners, WED set out to craft a broad set of questions directed at California voters that were both fair, inclusive, and reached across issues related to the industry's sustainability. We hired some of the best in the business to help us achieve true wisdom in this space and to help us guide guide our speaking to voters uh, who are by and large unfamiliar with our on-farm side of the industry. Those polled are dairy's customers and their opinions we think are extremely valuable for our industry to know and understand a little bit better moving forward on livestock sustainability goals. I'm going to turn the presentation over to David Binder research team. Uh, David Binder is joining us. He's one of California's leading uh, pollsters in the capital. 
and his team, um, Ethan Axelrod, who also assisted him in the project. Let us know if you have any questions, you can raise your hand, but we will probably go through the entire presentation today and take questions at the end. David and Ethan, I believe the floor is yours. Uh, hello, everyone. This is David Binder. I'm uh, honored to be here today, and thank you all for the audience that you're providing us. I'm going to ask Ethan Axelrod to go through our findings here in just a moment. But just to set the stage, I, I do want people to um, know that we did use standard methodological practices to survey California voters. Uh, we do that by a, a variety of methods. We talk to people on the cell phones, on uh, uh, via text message, we invite them to take a survey. We also approach them via, via email that is on the voter file that we use. Uh, we ensure that we're talking to general election voters, and we are always uh, very careful to ensure that the people that we talk to are representative of the California electorate with regard to all the important uh, demographic factors, including their political party registration, but also age, ethnicity, gender, and uh, the area of state in which they li live. So before I go to Ethan and ask him to walk through the results, I do wanna let people know that th there may be some misconceptions in the state about a public opinion regarding dairy farmers. And uh, what we found was when we could talk to voters about the family farms that we find uh, that opinion is very positive. So let me go ahead and ask Ethan to go ahead and indicate, uh, the, go through the results and share them with you today. And thank you very much. Uh, sorry, I was, I was muted for a second there. Uh, thanks, David. I, I'm going to um, walk through this, this presentation, which sort of outlines the survey um, from uh, chronologically from the beginning of it to the end, uh, pulling out some of the key findings. Um, as Anya mentioned, um, I, we do want to save some time for Q&A at the end, so I'm going to move, this, move through this at a pretty brisk pace and, and focus on some of the things that I thought were particularly important. Um, but uh, happy to entertain any questions uh, at the end of uh, the presentation uh, as well. Um, we started out at the beginning of the survey as we often do by just getting voters opinions on sort of a variety of different um, you know, political figures and, and organizations and, and, and groups um, and industries um, pertinent to the subject area. Uh, the, the key thing I wanna point out here is, is relatively positive opinions of, of California dairy farmers, 46% saying that they have a fair favorable opinion 12% unfavor uh, unfavorable. Similar numbers, uh, just a little bit less sort of people having an opinion on California cattle ranchers, 37% favorable, 14% unfavorable. But the big takeaway from this is, is just people feel uh, generally positive. There's only a small percentage who feel negative about either of these industries in California. Um, we then moved into some more specific uh, questions along these lines, just to gauge people's perceptions of, of, of the industries in general, the dairy and cattle industries. Um, and we asked people whether they thought the beef and dairy production in California has a positive or negative impact on the state. And you can see quite positive results here, 59% saying positive, 22, only 22% uh, saying negative. Um, we do see on the right a little bit of, of sort of uh, ideological breakdown with more progressive Democrats and liberal voters, a little bit more divided, although you know, a plurality among both those groups still saying a positive impact. And then once you get down to you know Republicans and independent voters or MPP voters, uh, you know larger majority saying positive. 
Uh, we followed it up immediately with what's known as an open-ended question. We just uh, gave people a chance to respond in their own words. What uh, We asked the people who said they have a positive opinion, which is the majority, sort of what, what is it about the industries that uh, causes them to say that? And you can see the biggest words that pop here are economy and jobs and the effect on the economy clearly sort of resonating as a, as a very important um, uh, you know, positive attribute of the industries. Um, the, um, you know, it's a little bit uh, as well about, about local food production, the words local and food popping, uh, but, you know, uh, sort of a wide range of, uh, of reasons why people think it's positive. Um, we asked the same uh, of the people who said they had a negative impact. Um, and you can see these environmental concerns do pop. Again, this is only about one in every five voters in the states. This is, you know, not a majority, but among those who do initially say they have a negative impression, um, you know, they cite things like the environment. That's obviously the biggest word that pops there up top. The word methane does come up in purple here on the top left. Uh, water, climate, these sort of environmental concerns um, do, uh, you know, are, are what cause people to, you know, the minority of people who say they have a negative opinion to, to come to that conclusion. Um, here is an interesting finding. Uh, we, we followed that up by asking people uh, whether it's their impression that most beef and dairy farmers in California are, are family operations or whether they are uh, operated by uh, corporations and large companies. Uh, by almost a two to one margin, you see most people are under the impression that uh, it is large companies uh, and corporations as opposed to uh, small family operations. Of course, we know that's not the case, but that is the impression out there. And the reason that's important on the, on the right uh, the, the top uh, bar there uh, is, is sort of, you know, th that question of do, they, does the, do the industries have a positive or negative impression, uh, uh, impact on the state? Uh, the people who think that they're mostly small family operations, 85% say positive. Uh, and then among the people who think that it's mostly large companies and corporations, you can see that the results are a little more divided there. So clearly this gives us some indication that, you know, when people understand the truth that uh, most uh, cattle operations in, in California are, are family operations, uh, you know, they become more positive on the, uh, on the industry. And we can see that pretty clearly in our next question here, uh, which is, you know, we actually inform people that um, the California Department of Food and Agriculture, uh, according to them, 95% of, of dairy farms in California are family owned. Um, having heard this, we, had, we sort of re-asked that question, or do you think that beef and dairy production in California have a positive or negative impact? And you can see that the positive impact jumps up to 72%, negative drops down to 15% with the biggest gains coming among uh, younger people and, and uh, progressive and liberal Democrats. And the reason this is important, uh, we'll get to this in a minute, once we delve into some of our specific policy questions, we can see that um, you know, if people are starting out with a more positive uh, framework of, or a frame of mind about how uh, the industries impact the state, they're more likely to sort of be with us on policy considerations as well. So I think that the big takeaway here is, you know, even if we're not fighting specific uh, Policy battles, the more we can sort of educate voters on what uh, on the industry and sort of uh, paint a picture of what the industry is, which is a lot of sort of family operations and smaller operations, uh, you know, that that uh, can, can put us on a more solid ground to sort of fight the policy battles that we might have to. We then uh, sort of what, uh, narrowed down into some more uh, environmental questions. We, we asked whether this supporter opposed California's goals to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions to 40% below 1990 levels by 2030. Uh, a majority does support that. That's consistent with sort of what we've seen in California consistently. You know, it's a, obviously 
a state where the environment is very important, a, 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 a liberal leaning state where people really care about climate change, especially with everything going on with the fires and everything, which we'll touch on a bit more in a bit. Um, we asked if they think that the goal uh, goes too far, does not go far enough or about right. And we get about evenly divided between those. 31% uh, saying it goes too far, 25% not far enough, and 33% about right. Uh, and it's important to note that, that most of those people are saying it goes too far are the people who oppose. Uh, so, so most of the people who, who oppose say it goes too far. Very few people are opposing, uh, saying it doesn't go far enough. There are some who say, who support and say it doesn't go far enough, but they're still supportive of the goals overall. Um, we then asked uh, whether California is on track or not. Uh, we see about 23% saying they think it's California's on track, about 34% saying it's not. And then, you know, a plurality saying they just don't know. Uh, interestingly, it's some of the more progressive audiences who are a little bit more uh, convinced that the, that the state is, is, is on track uh, to meet those goals. Uh, this is a very uh, pertinent uh, question, battery of questions here. We, we sort of listed these different uh, areas and, and you know, sort of frame them as, as areas where California can focus its efforts to reduce climate, hard, climate harming emissions. For each one, we ask people to indicate whether they think it's extremely urgent, somewhat urgent, not very urgent or not at all urgent for, for the state to reduce emissions in this specific area. Uh, not surprisingly, given sort of, you know, the urgency of, uh, of the fire situation in the state, you know, set, that, that one predominates as, as the most urgent um, area to address. But what's really noteworthy here for our purposes is that reducing emissions from the state's agriculture and livestock industries uh, by far sort of the lowest uh, priority here in, in voters' minds. This is not something that people are thinking about right now. It's something that should be the main focus of California's climate uh, reduction goals. Uh, we then got into some of the more specific issues around uh, you know, getting to uh, the issue of sort of enteric emissions um, we didn't describe it that way, but we also felt the need to sort of give some background before we got it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an, a bit of an esoteric issue, obviously, that not many people will have thought of before taking this survey. So we asked some questions that both serve as sort of an introduction into the, the policy background of this current debate um, and, and sort of got, get people's impressions of sort of what's been what's happening so far. Uh, we, we informed them that, you know, under state law passed in 2016, uh, CARB regulates methane emissions uh, that comes from various industries, including dairy and beef. Uh, where methane is produced as a component of manure and with cattle uh, belts during the digestive process. Uh, and we informed the cattle industry accounts for about 4.2% of, of total uh, methane emissions. Um, and then we asked if people support or oppose uh, this law. Uh, so there's general support for, for that law as we described it in 2016. So the idea of you know, the industry doing its part to uh, reduce emissions uh, in the state is, is generally popular, 50% support. Again, uh, you know, not surprisingly, given sort of the way we think about these different partisan groups, most of, you know, the most supportive groups are progressive Democrats and liberal Democrats, Republicans more opposed, but even among moderate Democrats and, and, um, and independent voters are seeing a majority or a plurality support uh, the existing uh, regulations. Um, we then sort of gave some back on what the industry has done so far. Uh, that they've you know, reduced emissions by methane emissions by 40%. Uh, I'm sorry, that they've used new technology. Uh, they've they've uh, on their way to meet climate goals and reduce their manure methane emissions by um, more than by uh, more than 50%. Uh, when we give them this information, we do see a majority 53% saying that they think the industry has done enough. Um, and again, I, I want to focus on sort of these these audiences like uh, moderate Democrats and NPP voters who we think of as serving some more sort of swing audiences. 
we see plurality saying, based on that information, it seems like the industry uh, is doing enough to reduce emissions uh, in accordance with this law that we, we generally support. So then we got to the idea uh, of regulating enteric emissions and sort of the current policy debate about what's going on there. Um, we, we frame this uh, as, you know, in 2016, the law did not uh, authorize CARB to uh, regulate methane produced by cattle belches and other digestive processes because no technology or management practices have been demonstrated to reduce these emissions, uh, aside from simply removing cattle from the state. Uh, and then we said, you know, CARB is now proposing that the state legislator authorize it to start regulating emission, uh, regulating methane emitted during the digestive processes. Uh, and you see a plurality, 45% opposing it. Uh, and only 38% supporting, including 33% strongly opposed. So there's more sort of passion behind the opposition than there is for the support here. Um, so the, these three questions sort of to summarize them as succinctly as I can is that there's a general support for the industry doing what it can to take part in the, in the state's goals to reduce emissions. Um, there is a sense that the industry based on sort of the, the straightforward facts is doing enough uh, to, to meet those goals. Uh, but when you get to this part about, you know, regulating enteric emissions, you know, describing it the way we did, um, that th there's a, a plurality actually opposing that, saying that, you know, that that, that actually go maybe goes a bit too far. Um, we then wanted to get into some of the, you know, messaging considerations and ways we ought to be talking about this. So there's a lot going on in this slide, but I, I uh, what we did was we exposed every single uh, respondent in the survey to this uh, message from people who support regulating enteric emissions. And then half the survey received our, uh, you know, sort of opponents of the, uh, of the regulations response uh, in split A and half received the other one in split B. The idea being, you know, we want to see if one really uh, tests better than the other so that we can sort of figure out um, the best way to talk about this. Uh, I think the big takeaway from this, rather than sort of one being better than the other, is that, you know, we, we end up with more opposition in both cases. Uh, we end up uh, increasing with this sort of even-handed message exchange uh, and, and a little bit more background. Opposition ticks up from about 45% uh, to, to near 50%, to around basically exactly 50% um, after this trade-off. As we'll see when we test some more sort of granular messages, both of these contain, um, these statements contain items that sort of really resonate with people. Um, you know, the idea that, uh, uh, you know, the, the industry is sort of a small player and that, you know, it only accounts for a tiny fraction of total emissions in the state and in, in, in split B. That, that's a message that we can see later on in the survey in a couple of minutes that, that that really resonates. On the right, you know, the only way for uh, to reduce emissions is, is to move production out of state, losing the higher food costs. We know that food costs are also uh, a powerful message here as well. Um, but the, 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 the big takeaway here is that, you know, with this even-handed exchange, we actually increase opposition a bit to around 50%. Uh, we then ask people uh, sort of what considerations are important to them in, in thinking about whether we ought to be, again, regulating enteric emissions. Uh, the two that really stand out here um, are, uh, you know, animal health and animal well-being. 48% uh, saying that's a very important consideration. We did not test a specific message on that, but I think that um, speaks to the degree to which a, a good message can be crafted around that, given sort of the impact on animals that, that these regulations would have. The other one that, that stands out is about, you know, increasing the cost of California-grown dairy and beef products that will increase grocery bills for families. That also stands out as being a, something that's important to think about as we think about whether or not to regulate enteric emissions. Uh, there's a lot going on this slide, but I want to focus on the top four rows here. Um, 
these, this is a, you know, a pretty standard uh, methodology that we use to test messages. Uh, we frame these all, you know, we expose these to people and said, you know, these are things uh, that are said by you know, people who oppose authorizing carb to regulate uh, emissions from cattle belches um, and, and digestive processes. Uh, so they're on, on the understanding that these are coming from opponents of the regulations. Um, and this message about the bigger picture that California's cattle sector only accounts for 4.2% of the state's inventory. And, you know, you're sort of threatening this industry based on this, you know, goal that could really only has a, a minimal impact on our overall emissions uh, is the one that really stands out. 43% saying very convincing. Uh, we typically focus more on the very convincing number there as opposed to the, the, the overall convincing. Um, and the next one is, you know, California has nearly 1,200 family-owned uh, dairy farms and 13,000 uh, cattle ranches, most of which are multi-generational. Uh, you know, th there's a lot to talk about here. I mean, we, we, we spoke earlier about the degree to which, uh, you know, people become more favorable in the industry when they find out that that's the case, these family-owned uh, farms and cattle ranches. Um, you know, framing these as sort of small businesses for which there's a lot of sympathy right now uh, coming out of uh, COVID and, and all the restrictions and everything. Uh, I think, it, you know, it speaks to the degree to which that, you know, should be an important part of the way we sort of present the industry and present our case in these regulatory matters. Um, and then these message, this message that, you know, you, you're, if you move the, you know, these regulations will just force people to move production out of state, which won't really, you know, at the end of the day, if they're moving to Texas, that's going to, you know, ultimately produce more uh, emissions due to transportation costs and the fact that Texas actually has lighter regulations than, than California. And then, as I spoke about earlier, this sort of food security issue uh, about, you know, children living in, in food insecure houses, uh, we shouldn't be imposing additional regulations that will increase the cost and availability of local produced food. So I think it's, it, it's this idea that uh, the, the, the three messages that really pop here, the, the, the fact that, you know, we're threatening an industry here for, for a very small potential gain in our overall emissions profile. Uh, the idea that these are small family-owned businesses that are struggling like every other small family-owned business right now, uh, and we're imposing these other these, these new regulations on them, uh, the food security question, and then you know you know cause you know I think especially for our, our progressive audience audiences, uh, you know casting doubts about really the, the efficacy of doing this from a carbon reduction standpoint, those messages really stand out as being convincing to people. Um, in the interest of of uh, you know being even-handed here. We did want to present some, some opposition uh, messages. Uh, these are actually, there are opposition, but they're the people who support, uh, you know, regulating enteric emissions. So this climate change message, uh, uh, nobody knows the dangers of, of climate change more than Californians, the droughts and fires we've experienced show that we need to be doing everything in our power to prevent climate change. Uh, you know, I think it, th th that one pops. I mean, anything above a 30 uh, on the very convincing number uh, is a pretty persuasive message. Um, and I think it speaks to the degree to which you know, climate change is a front, of change, a front of mind issue right now, especially with all the fires going on. I think that that you know, is sort of seen as a proof point of the importance of regulating emissions. Um, and and you know, the, so I think it speaks to, uh, our, our opponents do have some pretty powerful messages here when they focus on the need to reduce uh, emissions in the state uh, urgently. But the sum total of all of that, uh, sort of all those messages we tested against uh, regulating enteric emissions, all the messages uh, we tested for them, uh, is not much change. We saw uh, after um, th that, that uh, second ask, after we did the, the, the trade-off messaging opposition tick up to about 50%, uh, it basically stays right there after the even-handed exchange of, with all these different messages. Uh, support you know, ticks up a little bit, 
Uh, but on the whole, you know, we stay steady with a, a slight majority actually uh, opposing new regulations on enteric emissions. Uh, so, you know, generally, I, I would say that I would call that a promising uh, and optimistic outlook based on, uh, you know, this message test. Um, but just to recap, and before opening to, to Q&A, uh, you know, the, the, the generally positive opinions of the dairy and cattle industries in California uh, and the potential to really increase those positive uh, attitudes uh, with more information about sort of the nature of the businesses that, that are uh, you know, doing this work, uh, the family owned up uh, businesses. Um, and, and the more we sort of increase um, positive uh, feelings about the impact of the industry on the state, the more likely people are to support us on our goals on, on enteric emissions as well. Um, the majority you know, supports existing regulations and thinks the industry is doing enough to help the state meet its climate goals, but opposes regulating enteric uh, in opposition growing to a near majority with an even-handed exposure to, to messaging and information. Uh, we talked about the messages that really pop this idea of um, you know, cattle industry only ca uh, causing a tiny portion of, of the state's emissions. Um, the uh, you know, painting a picture of the cattle uh, and dairy industries as family businesses that struggle through COVID. Uh, and will be make could be forced out of the state uh, and the potential to increase food prices. Uh, those are the three messages that really sort of move people on this issue. And then, um, you know, I think it's important. Uh, you, we, we have sort of maybe more work to do in sort of bringing out these specific messages, but there is a lot of potential uh, around messaging about, you know, regulations on enteric emissions, harming animal welfare uh, and increasing food prices as well. Uh, those are sort of two, voters' two biggest concerns about uh, about the, uh, the potential to regulate enteric emissions. Uh, but with that, I do wanna, I, I just went through a lot of information in a short amount of time, but I, I do wanna open it up to uh, any questions that folks might have uh, or, or additional thoughts. Thanks, Ethan. And we do have our, our entire team of consultants on the line, Kelly Culkin and Chris Tapio, um, who also assisted the process in developing the questions. Um, I don't need to, belabor how much work went into this, but we, we really huddled around this for a long time. I see our first question from Darren Montero. Thank you, Darren. Um, he's even got a slide number there, gentlemen. On slide 13, it states the cattle industry represents 4.2 of California methane emissions. This is misleading as cattle represents roughly 54% of methane emissions and 4.2 of total emissions. So he's asking yeah. us. Yeah, I mean, to, I think the way we frame that is definitely important. I mean, I, I, I will, uh, you know, let other folks, we had a sort of robust discussions about how we frame the, the issue. Um, I, I think, you know, um, the, the way that, Clear that 4.2% number helps us. Um, and, and the more that we can sort of keep that uh, as the way that this is talked about and not the 54% of methane uh, emissions um, is helpful. I don't know that your average voter, in fact, I, I mean, I have a pretty good sense from doing uh, you know, a lot of other work that the, the average voter knows much about the difference between methane and other greenhouse gases, um, which I think helps the cause here of not uh, keeping the focus on methane and about overall emissions generally. I don't think the average voter is, has the, you know, much of a capacity to sort of parse between those issues. But I mean, it's a very good point that that 4.2% number um, is helpful to us and is a good way to sort of frame this uh, to the extent that, uh, you know, we sort of lose the battle to frame things that way. I think that, that that's a harmful uh, development. 
if I, if that makes sense and addresses your question. Yeah, and, and this is Kelly Calkin just chiming in here as well, is that I, I think that's right. When we, you know, talk about emissions reductions, I mean, we say, look, out of the whole, out of all the emissions, we're only 4.2% of that. And we're trying to achieve 40% reduction in the 4.2%. That's very powerful when talking to policymakers and, and lawmakers. Thank you for that question. Uh, Gino Pedretti, do the people in the survey want the cattle industry to change the way we feed to cut methane emissions? So we- uh, Go ahead, Ethan. I, I mean, I don't have much, I, I think you can speak to this probably better than I can, Anya, but I mean, we, we didn't address that uh, directly in the survey. Um, I, but, but I, I, I'm, you know, I, I, we had some discussions about it. I think we felt like it was sort of a layer of, uh, explanation and, 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 and sort of in the weeds, um, sort of wonkiness with regards to agricultural practices that maybe wasn't worth exposing people to. But um, so I, I can't really answer that question, but I'll, I'll let Anya sort of. Yeah, I think um, it's a great question, Gino. That's what we were attempting to ferret out. It's really important that um, we kept this high level, which kind of goes to the previous question. Um, people are not gonna decipher, thankfully, um, our ways of doing things. And they're also, you know, we weren't asking them or telling them that those were specific options on the table. We simply wanted their opinion about whether or not essentially having ARB regulate down to the individual cow was a good idea in their minds. But in order to get there, we set this up with lots of questions. So I think that the data suggests that um, a plurality of voters do not want the individual cow based on animal health and welfare um, to be regulated for enteric. Are there other questions that folks have of the survey? So Tyler's asking, so if the consumer doesn't want the regulation, where is the pressure from regulation coming from? I can take a shot at that. I think that the pressure is coming um, both from generalized conversations in the media, but also most directly it's coming from the California Air Resources Board itself, which has moved to regulate the industry's emissions and therefore believes that both in practice and in purpose, they can regulate all ends of the cow, not just manure, which was in fact the deal cut on 1383. So that's uh, certainly where the direct pressure is coming from, but um, if there are other attempts on the marketing side, to market our milk as sustainable or carbon neutral, those are pressures that are being added to the ARB pot.
Are there additional questions for the team? Um, Jeff, are you aware of studies showing grazed pastures as net methane sinks due to soil methanotropic bacteria activity? Um, I have to have a little laugh, Jeff. The, the experts on the phone and on the project are certainly uh, not going to know much about that specific question. I think uh, you and Paul and I can probably have a chat offline but that's certainly way too in the weeds for this project. I like the question though. Maybe we'll have to it pull sounds, on. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and a question from Gino. Has the airborne been shown this data? So interestingly enough, uh, we will be discussing quite a bit of this with the Air Board later this afternoon. Um, certainly there are folks that have been briefed within the governor's office on this information, um, and it has led to another set of meetings with the Air Board. Keep in mind, ARB doesn't give a lot of frigs about voters, but those that we elect certainly do. So there's a balancing effect here but it is important that uh, the Air Board is aware of the pressures that um, our voters are gonna have when it comes to this, this enteric space. So we'll make sure Gino that, uh, that it ends up on the right lap at the Air Board. And Anya, this is Kelly. I, I wanna kind of emphasize that point is that while the Air Resources Board is not elected, um, the, the policymakers are. And some of the data that's coming out of this that was the most interesting to me was the framing of the industry. Um, I think that when you frame uh, the industry as small businesses, there's just tremendous, everybody knows of a business that's been shut down during COVID. Uh, and there's a tremendous amount of support for uh, keeping small businesses afloat and for making sure the government doesn't do something that would hurt small businesses. Um, and, and I think that at this moment in time, that's something that this poll very strongly shows that you know, as we go out and, and we frame this uh, as small businesses, we are in very good shape. So that's a, a very important takeaway, I hope uh, that comes from, from the poll for this group. Yeah, we tend to hear a lot about um, the bad, you know, on social media of our business. And, and I know that a lot of you face, you face down activists every single day that you um, work with the cows and it can be overwhelming and stressful. And I don't want to marginalize that. But one of the, as Kelly just mentioned, the most outstanding things uh, that we didn't plan for that came out of this project was the overwhelming um, love that we got for the beef and dairy sector. And the fact that folks by and large think we're doing enough, that we're doing our part, um, <clears throat> and that they're sympathetic to keeping that business in the state is, is I think really important and should be hopefully a nice way to start your Tuesday. 
Are there any additional questions? Hey, I want to just say, um, Anya, one of the things that was really important to this poll was that we conducted a very direct method, methodological method. I, can I say that right? But that the, the data that we got back was accurate and not biased. And there was some nerves around what would voters think about the industry coming into the poll because we just didn't know. This was kind of the first of its kind here around these issues that we had looked at. And the results, I think, are much more favorable than we anticipated based on what you had talked about previously. The, um, the, the media uh, around some of this has, has not been as favorable, yet the results for the industry on the whole were very strong and supportive, supportive of uh, the work that's being done. And so I hope that people take this uh, coming out of this poll as a real positive uh, on our positioning within California business and agriculture as a whole. And I think to conclude, thank you, Kelly, a beautiful synopsis there. And to conclude this and again, go forth and prosper on this beautiful Tuesday. But um, data is only as good as what you do with it. And so the next phase of what Western and Western's board decides to act on with respect to messaging and our government affairs programs is really going to be predicated on this data. Um, and, you know, really trying to figure out what the future of our sustainability portfolio looks like in California when we've already done so much um, is now going to be based on some hard consumer data. And so, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to the next evolution of what we do with this and how we message to our consumers here in California what the future looks like. Anya, one clarification point I think Ethan's going to do about one of the first questions about the 4.2% and how the question was asked. Ethan, do you want to dive into that? I just want to make sure everybody knows that our methodology was extremely sound on this, and I think it's a, an important point here. Yeah, I mean, so we, so we referenced that 4.2% number twice in, in the message uh, that, that tested very positively. Um, and it was our best testing message. Uh, we, we tested, uh, um, for, we, we, we framed that 4.2% number as 4.2% of our state's emission in inventory in describing some of the background. And uh, uh, earlier on, we were sort of describing what, what, what had happened in the 2016 uh, law that authorized CARB. Uh, we did describe the cattle industry accounts for 42 of, of California's total methane emissions. So I think to the question earlier um, on, on did we ask the question correctly, the answer is we did ask the, the question correctly, um, was I think the important point there to make sure that we weren't getting kind of a biased result. And, and that's kind of the, the broader piece, Anya, as you had talked about, the amount of push and pull that went into kind of making sure we were giving ourselves a clean read on what voters thought uh, really did uh, <laughs> take a lot of, lot of time and, and splicing and dicing here until we got it accurate. So um, just wanted to clarify that for the first question of the, the gentleman. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great clarification because we did not want to be guilty of 
framing ourselves in the best possible light. We wanted to be honest about where everything was and where the EPA says we are. So, well, if anyone has any specific questions following up, I, I think that we all know how to get a hold of me. If you'd like to look more in detail um, at these slides, happy to um, discuss that and share that. I want to thank everyone for taking time today. Um, this is important to us. It's been a research project we've been working on for almost a year. And uh, we look forward to working with this team in the future on other really um, top-notch issues that affect our farmers. And um, can't wait to share more stuff with y'all. Thank you for your time. Did you know that you can turn your dairy manure into cash? Bennett Environmental is offering above-ground dairy digesters at no cost to you. These systems can also remove nitrates from your lagoons to help you comply with water board regulations. Our proven above-ground technology will generate income for your dairy into the foreseeable future. Because we truck the renewable natural gas off-site, your dairy can profit regardless of your location. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. Thank you to all of our guests this week, including Tiffany LaMandola, Paul Souza, and the team with California Cattle Council who made our survey in Sacramento earlier this year possible. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Seen and Heard. In the meantime, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite listening platform and shoot us any of your questions, comments, or content requests at mlema at wudairies.com or darby at wudairies.com. Thanks and have a great week, everyone. While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com. I-E-S dot com.